If you'd like, you might turn to the Old Testament, or in your Old Testaments, to the prophet Amos, one of the minor prophets, more toward the end of your Old Testament. Amos. Good to see all of you. Appreciate the invitation again that's been extended to Lisa and I to come and spend this week with you. We've been looking forward to it for a good long while and, and certainly encourage everybody to participate this week as much as possible. And, and we're certainly going to have a fun week. If you're here tonight and you're visiting with us, we especially welcome you. We want you to know that you're welcome anytime the door is open here. I know the brothers and sisters here at this place would love to have you meet with them on a regular basis and would encourage you to come back. Uh, if you're visiting and we've not met and you don't know me, I am a visiting speaker from out of town, so don't hold the congregation accountable to anything I do or say. Uh, but they have invited me to come up and spend the week with them, and I'm looking forward to, to that. And, and I've decided I want to do some things in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And we're taking some Old Testament stories and try to take the lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament stories and make them at least try to make them or use them as practical application in our lives today as well. And I want to look at the prophet Amos this evening. I'm going to do very similar to what I did this morning. I want to try to put it in context in its time period first and look a little bit at the story. And then I want to take the lessons that I think that we can learn or at least some of the lessons I think we can learn from the story. So you'll kind of know when we're getting close to the end. That way when we start filling out this side of the board over here. First of all, I've left my chart up from this morning. Um, but I want to review with you just a little bit. There's some that weren't here this morning, and those that were here I want to review with you as well. But when we looked at the, the history of the children of Israel, or the Jewish nation of people in the Old Testament, that began with Abraham. Abraham had one promised seed, which was Isaac. I recognize the Ishmael story, etc., but one promised seed, which was Isaac. Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. And Esau, that, those descendants became the Edomites. We're going to look at those next Sunday night when we look at the book of Obadiah or the prophet Obadiah. He is prophesying to the Edomites. But the other son was Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. We looked at some of those, but Reuben, Levi was the third. He was the priesthood tribe. Uh, Judah was the fourth, and I didn't mention this this morning, but it was through that fourth son, Judah, that we had the lineage of Christ. That's King David, that's Solomon, that's Jesse, all of that, not in that order, but all of that coming through the fourth son of Jacob. Uh, Benjamin was the last one, Joseph, there was Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, etc., Dan, uh, one of those 12 tribes. Now, it was these 12 tribes that ultimately came into the land of Israel that came in, and I know that's a crude drawing of a map, but there's the Mediterranean Sea. They inhabited these lands and they parceled off the lands for the 12 tribes. I know there's some idiosyncrasies in the story there, but essentially they took 12 different parcels of land. The 12 tribes of Israel became the nation of Israel. And those 12 tribes uh, had ultimately wanted a king. God gave them four or three different kings initially. Saul, who reigned for 40 years. David, who reigned for 40 years. Then Solomon, who reigned for 40 years. When Solomon died, Solomon had a son, Rehoboam, went to the old men and said, what do we do? The old men said, you better treat them easy. You know, they'll follow you if you treat them easy. They went to the young men. The young men said, treat them hard. You know, get after them. And, and you think your dad was bad, you'd be worse. You know, that kind of thing. And he took the young men's advice. Because of that, the kingdom was divided, and those 12 tribes went to 10 tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. The two tribes to the south were Judah and Benjamin. It was known as the nation of Judah. 
And the ten tribes to the north were all of those other tribes, but they were called Israel. Those were the ten tribes of Israel to the north. The kingdom was divided. So when you read in your Old Testament about the king of Judah versus the king of Israel, you can separate those two out as these were the days of the divided kingdom, that there were two separate kingdoms that were happening. Now we mentioned this morning that in 723 B.C., Assyria came in and took the ten tribes to the north and took them into Assyrian captivity, never to be heard from again. They assimilated into the Assyrian culture, intermarried with neighboring countries, things like that, never heard from them again. However, the two tribes to the south, the kingdom of Judah, we did hear from. and They were ultimately taken into captivity. They were taken into Babylonian captivity. And that happened in approximately 605. There were several different sieges of the city of Jerusalem, but that happened essentially in 605 B.C. And when that happened, that's where we get the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, etc. All that happened during that time frame. They'd stayed in Babylonian captivity for about 70 years, and then God put it in the heart of Cyrus the king. You can find in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the temple again uh, when they were finally released from Babylonian captivity. A lot of things happened in the Old Testament there, but... These 12 tribes came in with that battle of Jericho and they overtook this land. They were ultimately split into the two kingdoms, etc. Well, now what we've got as we look into the book of Amos is we've got a prophet. And this prophet in chapter 7, verse number 14, says that he wasn't the son of a prophet. It wasn't that he was born a prophet. He was called to be a prophet of God. He had a message that needed to be delivered. He lived in the south and he was prophesying to the kingdom of the north. He was doing that in about 740 B.C. Now that date becomes somewhat important when you know that Assyria comes in and takes Israel in 723 B.C. So some years beforehand, he's prophesying, Israel, you're going to be destroyed. Destruction's coming your way, and there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll look at that here tonight. But just to put it in the proper time frame, what we're looking at in the book of Amos is about 740 B.C. Now let's go to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1, verse number 1. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So first of all, we know some things about Amos. Amos was a herdman. Uh, We also know that, not particularly from this verse, but that he was a sycamore tree fig farmer. Uh, Give you a little bit of his background. He was not born... A prophet. God called him to be a prophet. God gave him words, and he was from Tekoa. He was from the south, and he's preaching to Israel itself. He's warning Israel themselves. And I want you to skip over, if you would, and I want you to go to chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that lo, the day shall come upon you that He will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. Now that take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks, in the Old Testament you'll see that many different times when God was prophesying destruction to people or to His people. And you see that same terminology, just kind of like sackcloth and ashes always meant they were grieving or mourning or fasting, that kind of thing, that they were in grief over something. Now... First of all, I just want you to notice what he says about the people. He's prophesying to Israel and he says to Israel, you have gotten to a point to where you don't even care about poor people. 
And he called them kind. Now in the Old English, some of you may have some new, newer translations, but in the Old, old English, kind is just cattle. And he says, you're just like a bunch of herd of cattle that don't care about anybody else anymore. You don't care about poor people anymore. In fact, you crush the needy. And you'll, you even kind of brag about the fact that, that uh, we bid them and tell their masters, tell them to bring us stuff because we're somebody special and they're poor and they don't have this opportunity or the same thing that, that we have. And he says, I want to tell you, because of your attitude, destruction's coming upon you. That's what Amos tells them. You've got a bad attitude about poor people, about other people, etc. Because of that, destruction's coming. Look at verse number 3. And you shall go out to the breaches, every cow at that which is within or before her, and you shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Before we get into the next five verses or, or five times, I just want to stop and I want you to get what's happening. He says, you've set up these places of worship. You remember this morning we talked about the fact that once the kingdom divided, Rehoboam was a king to the south, Jeroboam was a king to the north. Jeroboam had a problem. Jeroboam didn't want his people in the north going to the south to worship, to go to Jerusalem. So he set up temples or he set up places of worship, altars, etc. in the north, in Bethel, in Samaria, etc. And he wanted his people to stay there. And they ultimately just basically turned into idol worshipers when it was all said and done. He didn't want them going to the south to worship the true and living God. Now here Amos is prophesying and saying, here's what you've done. You bring your sacrifices up to the wrong place of worship. In verse number 4, come to Bethel and transgress. To Gilgal and multiply thy transgression. All he's saying is you're worshiping in the wrong place, Israel. You don't care about what God's asked you to do to come down here to Jerusalem. All you're going to do is worship the way you want to worship. That's all you're concerned about is what you want. And just go ahead, keep doing that. You're multiplying your transgression. Go ahead and sin and do that. But he said destruction's coming upon you because of that. Now, in verse number 6, he said he gave you cleanness of teeth and want of bread. If we could put that in the King Tai translation instead of the King James translation, he basically is saying that they don't have anything to eat. They had persecution come their way. They saw famine in the land. Cleanness of teeth basically meant there was just nothing to eat. You know, kind of like we might think of picking the meat out of our teeth or something after we've eaten because our bellies are full and all that sort of stuff. They didn't have that. And they were want of bread. They had lack of bread. They were starving. And then I want you to notice this phrase at the very end of verse number 6. You didn't have anything to eat. You were starving to death, etc. Yet you wouldn't return to me, saith the Lord. Now keep reading in verse number 7. I also have withholden the rain from you. When there were yet three months to harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city, one piece was rained upon, and the, the piece whereupon it rained not withered, so two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, and they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. He said, not only did, were you starving, and you saw famine in your land, you didn't have enough to eat. He said, but I, I even made it clear to you that I brought weather that rained on one piece of land and didn't rain on the next piece of land, so that you would know it was me that was creating this persecution for you. But you even saw the persecution. You saw the bad weather. You saw the fact that your crops were dying because they were starving for water. But he said, you wouldn't return to me. You wouldn't return to me. 
Keep reading, if you would, verse number 9. I've smitten you with blasting and mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them, yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. He said, not only were you starving to death, you didn't have bread to eat. You, you saw the fact that the weather was hitting one spot and not your spot, and your spot was dying, and your crops were withering because of lack of rain. I sent disease through your crops. And the palmer worm ate up your crops. And you, absolutely your crops were withering away to nothing, that you had nothing to eat. And then he, he finished the phrase again, Yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Verse number 10, I've sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt, after the young men that I've slain with the sword, have taken away your horses. I've made the stink of your camps to come up into your nostrils. Yet you've not returned unto me, saith the Lord. He said, I brought pestilence, I brought disease. Not only were you starving and, you did, and your crops were withering away and you had disease and you didn't get rain when you needed rain, but you had disease that was killing and people were dying and the stench was in your nostrils. He said, but you, you wouldn't return to me. You couldn't even recognize it as chastisement from God. Verse number 11, I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a firebrand plucking out... Plucked out of the burning, yet ye have not returned unto me, said the Lord. He said, I caused destruction upon your cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. Destroyed you, and yet you didn't return to me. You wouldn't come back. And then verse number 12, he says, Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and created the wind and declareth unto men what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is His name. Amos has given quite a, a message of destruction for the children of Israel. He says, you're fixing to go into Assyrian captivity. You're fixing to be destroyed as a nation. And God gave you all these warnings. He brought all this pestilence and famine and, and all these different things your way, and yet you couldn't even recognize that it was God's chastisement upon you because you were being disobedient to Him. You couldn't even recognize it. He said, you wouldn't even return it. Five times he repeated, yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. A couple other things I want to notice from the story, and I want you to skip over, if you would, to chapter 6. Verse number 1, he says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, that trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel is called. I just want you to notice, first of all, he just said, you're lazy folks. I'm prophesying destruction destruction upon you because woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Your laziness. And look at what happens, verse number 4. That lie upon beds of ivory, that stretch themselves upon their couches, that eat lambs out of the flock and calves out of the midst of the stall, that chant to the sound of the violin, invent to themselves instruments of music like David, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. He said, I'm, I'm prophesying to you, woe to you, nation of Israel, because... You're lazy. In fact, all you're doing is laying around on your beds, your couches, and you're lying on beds of ivory. That's all you're doing is laying around. You're listening to music, but you, you chant to the sound of the vial. All you're doing is sitting around eating the steak out of the calves in the midst of the stall or lamb out of the stall. All you're doing is eating and drinking and, and being merry, and all you're concerned about is you. That's all you're concerned about is you. And he said, woe to you that are at ease in Zion. Destruction's coming your way. I want you to skip over, if you would, to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse number 5. Then said I, O Lord, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. 
For the Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Now, you guys may not get the same humor I get out of this, but that's humorous to me. He said, now, first of all, let's define terms, because it's not a term we use all the time, but in the construction industry, a plumb line is when you would take a string and it's got a metal weight with a point on it at the bottom, and that a lot of times we use terms that are really incorrect in construction. If we took a level, like a four-foot level, we'd put it up against this wall, and most people would say, is it level? Well, level really is this way. Is it level? This is another term called plumb rather than level. Is the wall plumb? Is it straight? Is it perpendicular to the floor? Well, Amos 7 is saying, I, he said, I stood there and I saw a man by the wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, what is it? And I said to the Lord, a plumb line? <laughs> That's humorous to me. He stood there with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said, what seest thou? A plumb line? I don't know. The point is, the plumb line is the standard by which you determine whether something's right or whether it's not right, whether the wall's straight or not straight. It's the standard. The Lord says, I've, I've put a man there with a plumb line in his hand against the nation of Israel. Here's the standard, Israel. Is it straight? Are you doing what God told you to do or not? What do you see? And he goes, a plumb line? <laughs> Y'all don't think it's funny, do you? That's one of the most humorous passages in the Bible. Captain Obvious was Amos. You know? Amos was just going, a plumb line. That's what I see. What he's saying is there's a standard for Israel, and, and Israel has violated the standard, and the wall's not straight. The wall's not right. They built it wrong because I put it up against a plumb line, and it wasn't right. Now, I want to tell you, God's got a standard. God's got a standard for us. And it's a plumb line. It's the standard of God's Word. We sing a song, we may have sung it this morning, it said the stand, we raise up the standard, the standard of His blood. Right? The ultimate sacrifice. Christ gave us a standard. It's, it's His Word of God that's sealed by the blood of Christ that died on the cross of Calvary. It's, it lets us know whether it's right or whether it's wrong, whether we're doing what God wants us to do or not. It's the standard. It's a plumb line. What do you see? A plumb line? Or do you see the fact that your life doesn't measure up to the standard of God's Word? Now this is Amos from the south prophesying destruction that Assyria is coming into the north. But I think there's some lessons we can get from some of these things that Amos is talking to us about. Number one, I think he tells us a little bit about how our attitude ought to be Toward the poor. You know, early in chapter 4, he says, you crush the needy. You know, these individuals had the wrong attitude. They had built themselves up with so much pride that they couldn't be destroyed. They had the wrong attitude. They didn't care about other people. Even to the point they were saying to their masters, bring us something to drink. You know, we're, we're not in your situation where we're needy people. You know, we're, we're in charge of things. Built up with pride. And you know, it may be true that something may be telling in your attitude and in your Christian walk, and it may show itself in your attitude toward other people and how you care for other people. 
Now, I realize some of these situations are complicated. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that every time you see somebody poor that you give them a dollar bill or a $10 bill or a $100 bill. That's not my point. And I realize some of it's complicated because folks a lot of times that are in bad situations may take a $100 bill and go buy drugs and keep themselves in bad situations. I recognize that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our attitude toward the poor. That have our hearts grown so hard that we don't care about other people? Have, have we gotten so full of ourselves and so prideful of ourselves, even as a church today, as a people today, that we don't care about other people that are less fortunate or that may not have? Is our heart in a spot where we don't care anymore? If so, I want to tell you, you've got a wrong attitude. Your attitude's wrong. And you need to honestly evaluate yourself and say, listen, my attitude needs to be soft to those that are around us. I need to be malleable. I need to be sensitive to the fact that there are other people that may not have the same opportunity or same chance or same home or same thing that I grew up with or same instruction or same training or same whatever, but we still care, right? And our attitude cares. The second thing I want you to notice that I think we can take out of here is that he told him that Go ahead and transgress by worshiping in Bethel. You know, the prophet Amos tells us a little bit about the fact that it's important how we worship God. He said Israel had gotten to a spot because they were worshiping in Bethel, because they were worshiping in Samaria, because they were worshiping to the north. They had set up these false places of worship. And you had gotten to a spot where you didn't even care how God wanted you to worship anymore. You just wanted to worship the way you wanted to worship. And I want us to be careful because I think in our society today, I think it's very possible that we get to the spot anymore where our attitude's wrong, where we really don't care about what God wants. We're more concerned about what we want. We start looking for a church that fits our idea of what we think we need in our family based upon our whatever, instead of saying, God, what do you want out of me? How do you want me to worship you? How do you want me to respond to you? How do you want me to, you tell me, you instruct me rather than me tell you how you ought to be worshipped. And in this case, these people had the wrong worship. And they had gotten so in such a state that their attitude was wrong, their worship was wrong. Let me tell you another I think another lesson we can learn from Amos is that these people could not even recognize that God was chastising them. They had gotten so insensitive to God being in existence even that even when they went through horrendously hard times, famine, pestilence, disease, death, horrendous stuff, they didn't even know they were getting chastised by God to come back to Him. And five times he said, you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Now, you and I both recognize, or you and I all recognize probably, that just because chastisement comes our way isn't always because of decisions we make. Sometimes we, bad things happen to us because other people make bad decisions and 
bad things happen. Sometimes bad things happen to us because of time and chance. Sometimes bad things happen to us because of God's providential care that He's chastised us. But let me tell you, all those, I don't know where all those end and start. I'll be honest with you because sometimes some of those things interblend with each other. But I am telling you, sometimes bad things happen to you because you're making bad decisions. You ever seen anybody in that situation? They just keep making bad decisions and the bad decisions keep, keep them in a cycle in life that's keeping them in a bad way, doing bad stuff, and it just keeps getting bad. Now, I'm trying not to preach to any particular person, I promise you. Anytime a person talks to a group of 100 people, there's a lot of people come from a lot of different backgrounds, have a lot of different experiences. I promise you I'm not attacking anybody. I promise you. But I'm telling you there's some cycles in life that we ought to be smart enough to see. Early on in life, we start making decisions. Maybe they're rebellion. We don't say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to the teacher. And then, or maybe it's earlier than that, we don't say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to our parents. And then we go to school, and it turns into we don't say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to the teacher. We don't respect, and, and we have a rebellious spirit. And, and then it turns into we don't say yes, sir, and no, sir, or yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to the police officer that pulls us over. And then we find ourselves in jail, and we find ourselves rebelling against saying yes, sir, or no, sir, to the prison guard that's, that's watching over the jail cell. Or we just start making bad decisions, whatever those decisions are, because we just have this rebellious spirit, and, and pretty soon we find ourselves doing all this stuff. Have you ever talked to anybody, though, and it's always somebody else? Man, I wouldn't be here except somebody else did this to me. And really, in all honesty, you can even look and, and be smart enough to go, you know, there may have been a lot of bad decisions in here. You know, if you hadn't taken drugs, you might not be in jail. If you weren't in jail, you wouldn't have lost your family. If you hadn't lost your family, you wouldn't be on your 13th marriage. If you weren't on your 13th marriage, the 13th stepchild wouldn't be angry at you because his father's missing and all. My point is, I'm, I really, I promise you I'm not trying to make fun of faith. I'm not. But I'm saying sometimes in life, bad things are happening to you because you're not doing good things. You're making bad decisions. And then when the bad stuff happens, have you ever noticed that sometimes people can't even recognize that it's because of the decisions they've made? They're, they're like clueless as to, I just don't know why all this bad stuff's happening to me. Well, let me help you. You're making bad decisions. I like those Dr. Phil moments when Dr. Phil would go, how's that working out for you? You know, you keep making all these bad decisions and bad stuff keeps happening and he asks the obvious question, how's that working out for you? Not very well. Now I want to tell you, I've suffered consequences of bad decisions. I'm not preaching to you because I'm ignorant of the fact that I've been guilty of the same thing. My point is... Can I wake up to the fact that I've made bad decisions, take responsibility for the bad decisions, and then make good decisions from that point on? Here's the point. Amos is saying you couldn't even recognize that when you were making bad decisions and all the famine and all the pestilence and all the death and all the disease and all that, when it came, you couldn't even tell that it was me trying to beg you to come back to me. You were so ignorant. You couldn't even recognize it as chastisement from God. These folks had the wrong perspective. Number four. You've not returned unto me, saith the Lord. 
You know what that message is very simply in the Old Testament? It's a message of repentance. He said, I'm asking you to repent. I'm asking you to change. I'm asking you to stop doing the stuff you were doing before and start living for God. You said you didn't want to worship the way God wants you to worship. You want to worship yourself the way you want to worship. You don't want to care about poor people, other people. You've got a wrong attitude. You can't even recognize chastisement because you've got a wrong perspective. And, and I will tell you, not only do you have all those things wrong, you also have the wrong The wrong judgment. You're not making the right decisions. God is begging. Repentance is simply heading down a certain direction or heading a certain direction. And there is a point, there is a moment to which you can say, I'm no longer doing that. I'm headed the other direction. That's repentance. The word means to turn again. The principle of repentance is taught in Scripture. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Luke 13 and 3, Jesus said, I tell you, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Acts 10 said, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The concept of repentance is taught over and over again in Scripture. But what about us? We keep doing the bad things. We keep doing the wrong things. We keep making bad decisions. Bad stuff keeps happening to us and we never recognize the fact maybe we're making bad decisions and then we make the wrong decision. We make the wrong judgment and we just keep doing those things rather than return to God. I want to beg of you tonight as we leave this place, don't leave this place without making a decision to serve God. And then number five... I don't know the history of the song, Careless Soul, Why Will You Linger, Wandering from the Fold of God, Hear Ye Not, the Invitation. I don't know the history of that song, but I can tell you probably it came from Amos 4. Oh, prepare to meet thy God. He was prophesying to these people, listen, because you've got a wrong attitude, and you've got a wrong worship, and you've got a wrong perspective that you can't even recognize destructions happening to you because of all these wrong decisions you're making. He said, you're making wrong judgments. You won't even come back to me time after time after time. I begged and pleaded for you to come back to me. He said, now... You're making the wrong decisions. You're coming to the wrong conclusion. I want to tell you destruction's coming. I want to tell you tonight that judgment day is coming. There will come a day when the plumb line is set. There will come a day when the standard is set. There will come a day when the books are open and you'll be judged according to the things that are written in the books, whether they're good or whether they're evil. There's a plumb line and it's up against a wall and it's determining whether something's right or wrong. What seest thou? A plumb line? I hope you see a plumb line because a day of judgment's coming. A day of reckoning. And you've got a decision to make. You've got a decision to make today. Stay in your wrong attitude and don't care about others. 
Continue worshiping Him the wrong way because you don't care about how God wants you to worship Him. Continue in your same perspective. Continue in the destruction and that destructive cycle because you got a wrong perspective about why it's even happening. Continue making wrong judgments about it and refuse to repent. But I want to tell you today, you can continue to make the wrong decision about coming back. But judgment day is coming. If you're here this evening and not obeyed a call to the gospel, I beg of you to make that decision today. God is calling today. 2,000 years after that invitation rang across a crowd that said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and hard, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is pleading and he is begging today. Keep, stop fighting against God. Stop fighting against His instruction and His will in your life. You are fighting a battle you will not win. You're fighting a battle you cannot win. It is headed, it's headed to destruction if you keep doing those things. Stop it today. Maybe your past is the past. And maybe you have made a ton of bad decisions. The point is, today is today. Stop the past. Stop the destruction for the future. I will tell you some of the bad stuff that's been happening to you because of bad decisions you've been making, I will tell you, we'll stop today. There may still be some consequences for previous bad decisions you've made, but I'll tell you, you're stopping the future of bad consequences for decisions you keep making because you made a correct decision today. And that decision is in your lap today. That decision stands at your feet today. That decision is in between your ears today and your mind As we sing this song, will you return to the Lord tonight? Won't you come while we stand and sing?